0: Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, open this word to us. Shape us into disciples pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, today we continue our walk through the Gospel of Luke. I hope you're enjoying it. You know, starting in chapter 9 the whole pattern of Luke is teaching his disciples how to be disciples, how to be ready for Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. We're told in chapter nine that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. So everything that follows has to be understood in that context. And, and so when we hear these little vignettes, these stories and parables, we wanna have that in mind. That Jesus isn't just telling nice stories to get his point across, although that is true. But Jesus is forming his disciples into a people ready for what's to come. He's trying to teach his disciples his craft. And every week we hear another lesson about following Jesus, uh, being a disciple. And often those lessons are shocking if we stop and listen. I think sometimes... These passages are familiar enough to us that we miss their shock value, but I'm hoping to give a little bit back to you today. Um, You you heard last week the shocking quality of the the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you didn't, go back and listen to it because it was a great sermon. You know, Jesus took this trick question by the lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? He was hoping to trap Jesus into something he could get him for. And and Jesus turns it. Well, what do you think? And, of course, he repeats the two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is right. Do it. And then uh, you remember that um, he says, well, who is my neighbor? Again, trying to justify himself, but also trying to trick Jesus up. And so Jesus tells this shocking story about God's shocking love and our Challenge to be shaped by God so we, law, we love in just as shocking a way. The Samaritan, the hated, half-breed, religious, offshoot, hated loves when the religious people who should know better don't. And Jesus is saying, that's how I love you all, and you who follow me are called to do the same. And so today, we get to this story about Mary and Martha, and at first it looks like a non-sequitur, but it's not. Luke is very deliberate in putting it here. Now we're going to learn, we've learned to love our neighbor, or we've learned what it means to be a disciple, loving our neighbor. And now we're going to learn how to love God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So the story doesn't look like that, but that's exactly what it is. It's a continuation of this uh, this discipleship training program, so to speak. Jesus' visit to Martha's house gives them the perfect opportunity to continue teaching on this. Um, You know, a number of years ago, more than I like to remember, um, a woman said to me, you know, Mary, I love this passage because I'm lazy. And I think this passage says it's okay to be lazy. <laughs> and a couple of weeks ago, a woman found out I was preaching on it. She says, I hate this passage, Mary, because I'm a Martha. And I think she gets a bum deal from Jesus. <laughs> a number of years ago, well, a lot a number of years ago, again, uncountable. Uh, or at least in public, uncountable. When I was in college, I spent the day with the Lord. And, um, and I felt as if God said, I, I wanted to know what my name was. You know, we were given a new name. Well, I wasn't given a new name. God told me my name is Mary. Go figure, it is. Um, and I thought, well, that's good. That means I should continue having good quiet times. Well, guess what? All of us were wrong, or or, or at least all of us missed the point of the passage. So let's open it up and see how wrong we all were, including me. Um, Now, we know from other places in the Bible that Jesus loved to hang out at Mary and Martha's house. Um, it, It seems to be a place where he can let down and be himself, and he loves to bring his disciples there knowing he'll get a good welcome, comfortable lodging, and probably good food, just saying anyway we know um even though it's not mentioned in this passage that lazarus lived with them probably lazarus was much younger otherwise he would be the head of the household right and here we're told martha is the one who opens her home she's the homeowner so chances are that means lazarus is a kid and she of course is the oldest and any of you how many of you are oldest yeah not so many well i am and I know Martha's the oldest, not just because she's the owner of the home, right? Those of us, especially oldest daughters, we, we get this, right? In any case, uh, she's the head of the house. And the story opens with Martha's hospitality. Um, her, you know, she uh, opens her home to Jesus, we're told. And we have this sense that Jesus is glad that she does. She welcomes him. Uh, Jesus is an honored rabbi, an honored guest, and so are his compatriots. And then, quickly, we meet Mary, Martha's sister, right? And what do, we see, what do we hear that Mary was doing, right? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, at first, this sounds like a lovely little picture, right? Mary's Maybe romantic, you know, she's sitting at his feet, ready to get his slippers, whatever. That is not what's going on. Sitting at someone's feet, sitting at the feet of a rabbi, is a technical term. It means sitting, studying from a rabbi. It means preparing to be a rabbi, right? It means going to seminary, so to speak. You remember that Paul talks about sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamaliel was a, at the time a well-known rabbi and Paul uses that as cred, right? Part of his credentials, you know, and he's proud of it and rightly so. He's a rabbi of, taught by the rabbi of rabbis, right? Well, until Jesus comes along, right? So Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, is not just looking adoringly at him. She's certainly not being lazy, right? She's studying Torah, something that rabbis apprentices did. And when Luke's earliest readers read that Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, most of them would have gasped, men and women would have gasped to hear that. Only men were disciples of a rabbi. Only men sat at rabbis' feet. Only men studied to be rabbis themselves. In fact, When men who were not family members entered a home, the women were supposed to withdraw to the private spaces. They didn't hang out in the public spaces with the men. Only men would be in the gathering room. So Mary is acting scandalously at all kinds of levels. She's breaking all the rules. So think about it. Picture Mary with this in mind. What do you think? What do you think motivated her to go against such strong cultural taboos? Can you imagine what it must have felt like? I mean, I've gone across a few cultural taboos myself—not not bad ones. Don't go there. You know, uh, uh, but I've been in a room where everybody's wondering, "What are you doing here?" Right? Um, well, what do you think motivated her to do it? What? What was it about Jesus that made her confident enough to stay there, even with, you know, questioning people all around her? What made her long to be a disciple, hungry for learning, hungry to study, to be a teacher herself? What an effect Jesus must have had on her to keep her in that room, sitting at Jesus' feet. Now the scene turns back to Martha and her perspective on the situation, which is a little different from Mary's. We're told that Martha is distracted by many tasks. And again, everyone in in, um, Luke's day would have heard that and gone, well, of course, of course she was distracted. An honored rabbi is in town. they would instinctively, in, instinctively grasp the situation. I mean, in a culture where hospitality is an absolute cultural necessity, if you didn't show appropriate dis, uh, hospitality, to an, especially to an honored guest, you didn't just break a rule, you brought shame on the whole household. You, and everyone, you know, these are villages, right? Everyone would know. The shameful thing that you had done. So if Martha didn't provide welcome, she was acting shamefully. She felt under uh, quite a bit of pressure. And meals in those days—some of you know that this is still too, true in parts of the Middle East or in certain meals—they um, weren't. They didn't use cutlery like we do, knives and forks. They used bread, and they would. I started doing it with my left hand. That, eight o'clock and realized, no, no, never with your left hand, only with your right hand, you took the bread and dipped into a dish. And so the way you honored an honored guest was by how many dishes, how many different dishes you provided, right? For a family, one or two dishes is plenty, right? But for Jesus, well-known, appreciated, honored guest, you'd have a slew of dishes, there would be incredible pressure on Martha to make sure there was, uh, there was plenty of it. So um, readers of this story would be sympathetic. You know, they'd, they'd really understand Martha's predicament and her outburst. Um, so surely, sorry, wrong page here. I was wondering where that other, those other words were. Uh, Martha had a huge job on her hands and we don't know how many were there but again lots of lots of uh, dishes and she's scurrying around trying to get everything ready you know kind of like the day of a wedding right can you you can picture that I I can sure picture it Um, and let me just remind you the workload was not the primary issue I mean Martha was not in the kitchen cooking right she was a homeowner that means she was fairly wealthy so even in poor households there were servants so she was not poor so there were servants she was she was overseeing it all not to minimize how much work it is still right those of you who've been mothers or fathers of the bride you know that right you don't have to be in the kitchen to be having to be overseeing quite a bit but um that's not martha's real concern Martha's real concern is her terror at Mary's breaking the cultural taboo, right? Bringing shame on her household, a household that's already odd, headed by a woman. Uh, What will the neighbors say when they hear this, that Mary's in there? Uh, What will our extended family do? Will anyone marry Mary after this? I mean, she's embarrassed by Mary's choice, and she thinks it reflects on her. And so <laughs> she lashes out. Something I kind of recognize all too well, I'm ashamed to say. She stomps in the room and says, demands Jesus to do something about it Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. She's mad at Mary. She's mad who should be helping, who should not be in the gathering room with the men, who should know better to think that she could be a disciple, that she could study Torah. And catch this, you saw it, right? Who else is she mad at? She's mad at Jesus for not caring about her needs, not stepping in to protect her, for not recognizing Mary's breach and fixing it. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. And Jesus, readers of the story, of course, are, are, are sympathetic, like they agree. Why hasn't Jesus done something? So think about it. You're listening to this, you're listening to this story, and there's a pause. Silence. No one, no one even takes a breath. They're waiting to see what Jesus will say. And I've often wondered, I mean, it's pure congestion on my part, but I've often wondered, what about the disciples i think they were probably sympathetic too maybe they were glad martha y- y- yelled at jesus because they didn't have to right like they're they've probably been looking at jesus like are you gonna do something like why is she here although we know that that uh in chapter 8 of luke that jesus had women following traveling with them something scandalous even today in the middle east you would not have this mixed group of unmar- you know, not married, not women without their spouses, their husbands, traveling in strange cities and supporting Jesus out of their means. So maybe the disciples are used to it, but given what you read about the disciples if you read the Gospels, I don't think so. I think they were very glad for Martha's outrage. But then, here we go. Will Jesus set things straight? Will he restore right order? Well, yeah, but not the way we want him to, maybe. We hear what Jesus says. We're shocked. We're shocked, just like last week we were shocked. We're shocked into learning important lessons about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But there's need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. Worried and distracted. Did you notice? Jesus points to her distraction, her worry, her, her not to her serving. He never gets mad at her for serving. He gets mad at what her serving is doing to her. It's blinding her to what else is going on. She's only thinking about her big job rather than what's going on in that room, rather than really offering hospitality to Jesus, right? Who of us hasn't done that? Well, maybe, I don't wanna judge you, but I know I've done that, right? You get so wrapped up, you forget the whole point of what you're doing. And that's what Martha's done. She's been worried and distracted And Jesus doesn't challenge her service, but he does challenge her focus. He says you're distracted by many things. Martha's trying for the big banquet, right? She wants to outdo herself, show to everyone how welcoming a hostess she is, as if quantity is a measure of love and devotion, which in that culture it was meant to be a symbol of. But even if that... love and devotion, so to speak, turns into resentment. Have you ever done that? Focus so much on your hostessing or hosting that you forget the whole point rather than on honoring Jesus, real honor. And think of it too, Martha's blaming others for her distress. It's their fault. It's Mary's fault that she's in this hubbub turmoil and it's Jesus' fault that he isn't fixing things for her. It's their fault that she's in this distraction mode. Jesus tells her only one thing is needed. It could mean one dish, right? Martha, one dish would suffice. One dish, no need for an elaborate banquet something that uh, a gifted hostess might resent. But in any case, Martha, I'd rather have you than all these dishes, he's saying. And he challenges her assessment of Mary's behavior. Mary has chosen the better portion. Some translations say part, but the word really is a word that could mean portion. Hear the food imagery? Mary has chosen the right meal. You're working on the wrong banquet, Martha. There's a banquet right here in your living room to which you're invited. It's waiting for you to taste of it. doesn't require your frantic distraction. Come and sit. Come and eat. Come and really eat. Speaking of a lot of dishes. Ken Bailey, one of my um, my late... Mentor and dear friend, um, who writes a lot about the cultural background to the New Testament, here's what he, how he translates this part of the passage: "Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I understand the entire list. One thing is needed. What is missing is not one more plate of food, but rather for you to understand that I'm providing the meal, and your sister." has already chosen the good portion. A good student is more important to me than a good meal. I will not allow you to take it away from her. Mary's choice to be a disciple, to study God's word, and to serve in response to that, even if it cost her reputation, Mary's choice was upheld by Jesus. He was pleased with her. By implication, Jesus is challenging Martha, too, not to stop serving, but to root her serving in her knowledge and love of Jesus, her knowledge and love of his word, that her service is meant to flow out of her discipleship, that that's what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Certainly, service is a part of it. You can't read the New Testament and not know that. But it's got to be grounded in our walk with Jesus. Loving God, of course, includes acts of service. But they've got to emerge from our paying attention to Jesus' word, to his teaching, to his leading. So there you have it. A lesson, our next lesson. From Jesus about following him about being a faithful disciple so not it's okay to be lazy right you got that right and no no uh, short trip to Martha for her service only for how and by the way this woman who calls herself a Martha serves with such joy and compassion and love for the Lord she wouldn't have gotten that finger from Jesus I promise you and I didn't know it then, but when Jesus said my name was Mary, he was saying way more than have a good quiet time, honey. He was calling me to serve him, to study and teach, to study and be a disciple, to study and make other disciples, just like all of his disciples are called to do. Make no mistake, this little lesson it's not just for martha not even just for mary not even just for the 12 who were in that room although it certainly was a lesson for them this is a lesson for all of us who are called to follow jesus so grade yourself this is kind of like a spiritual performance review grade yourself how are you doing How well do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is learning from Jesus and from his word and from his words to you, is that your primary agenda? Does that root all the things you do? Are you willing to be considered scandalous because you put Jesus first? Some of you I'm looking at, some of you I know you have, you are. Do your acts of service flow out of your devotion to Jesus and to his word? Or are you distracted by your serving? Guilty, often, as charged. Has it become separated from your walk with him? This is a call to us, to follow Jesus afresh, Will we? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Mary's scandalous act, so pleasing to you. Will you center us in you and your word? Will you equip us to serve, to shape others into your likeness as you have shaped us? In Christ's name. Amen.